0: Good morning, and happy Sabbath. Today, lesson 11, the cross of Christ, page 140. So, those of you who had a chance to read it ahead of time, you know, what are some things that kind of jumped out to you in the beginning, or when you think about the idea of the cross of Christ, what comes to mind, before we really start getting into it? There is an idea put forth here in the lesson, in the very first paragraph that is kind of interesting, but we'll just read it. As we continue to study the second and final death of the wicked, it will be helpful to study the death of Christ. Everyone agrees that Jesus died the death of the sinner. And that being the case, if we want to know how the wicked die, all we have to do is go to the cross and see how Jesus died. Now. Does everyone agree that Jesus died the death of the sinner? Never heard that before. And just because everyone agrees on something, does it mean it's actually
1: true?
2: I have a hard time with the concept.
1: So who's stating everyone agrees that Jesus died the death of the sinner? In this case, I'm guessing it would be the author.
0: So, just some interesting things to kinda of just start ruminating in our minds as we get into this lesson a little bit, I think. Not to discredit anything that
3: we've read so far or or the author's work, but it's just great to have some explains. I, I think it's uh not that he was a sinner, but he was human. Yeah. Which has they're they're, they're by nature they're sinful. Mm-hmm. He was born, uh, you know, a woman, flesh and blood, mm-hmm. uh, and he became, you know, what I said in the book, he was lower than the angels. He was a human being. He was, he was, he was uh, susceptible to temptations and stuff, so, yeah, you know, he, he needed to, he came to this world to show human beings that that he can actually follow God's law. He was still susceptible to being tempted and stuff. It's like, um, I guess in simpler simpler terms, uh, if I want to live live a healthy life, and I know there's very many temptations around in the world, uh, you know, I can just Stay on my path mm-hmm. or just follow somebody else's path. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I think he already charted his own course that he was going to be, you know, the example in the world. You know, and he, knows, he knew that he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice for him that he was going to die for for humanity. That was, you know, simple.
1: So uh, I know I'm jumping the ship here, but, you know, jumping ahead here, but the. later in the chapter talking about psalms and matthew and talking about the comparisons there so so it was it was prophesized sure that things like that were going to happen so but you know jesus still went for emotions but you know again still to be
0: to be kind of clear i guess we could say that i think for all eternity we are going to be learning and discovering um, new and more—I don't know—a deeper understandings of why Jesus had to die. The whole thing involved in that whole process, you know, because when you look at it from the surface, you know, when you when you ca- a new Christian approaching this whole thing, why did Jesus die? Well, Jesus died to forgive your sins, right? Which is true, right? Jesus died, the death of the sinner, which is true, right? But then as the more you begin to understand, the more you begin to grow. The more about the great controversy you understand, you you start getting into things like, well, Jesus died to reveal something about God's character. That's a little bit deeper, you know. Or Jesus died to um, restore humanity back into its original design. Well, that's even deeper yet, right? So there's, and you could just keep going. It keep going. So I think all of, all of eternity, we're gonna be uncovering these things but I do want to point it out and say, but what, you know, this is just like a disclaimer at the beginning and then we'll get into what the lesson's talking about. Jesus did not die to create a change in God so that God would then be able to accept us, which is what a lot of Christianity teaches, that Jesus died to somehow satisfy God's anger so then God could now forgive us that is false that is penal legal that is a pagan view that's that's, that's pagan to offer a sacrifice to create a change in the God so that the God will bless you instead of kill you Right. that is not the reason Jesus died and so I think that as we jump into this lesson, the point, though, is looking at the, the connection the author is making with, because we're still following the trend of, like, the final death of the wicked. So, he's making the case of saying, okay, so since a lot since a lot of people, if I can hang on my pencil here, since a lot of people believe that Jesus died the death of the wicked, then what the author is getting at is, well, let's see how Jesus died to then understand how do the wicked die. that's the connection he's trying to make here so specifically he's saying because a lot of people believe God will kill you if you sin you die God will kill you and so what he's saying is well let's look at how Jesus died and did God actually kill Jesus like what actually happened there so that's the point of today's lesson in this whole chapter as we get into it um and I think it's, it's it it says really beautiful things about the kind of person God is as we uncover this. It it really makes God look really good, and it puts him in a really good light. Sarah, do you have a comment? No, I don't think so. Not yet. I see you formulating something with there, though. <laughs> I
2: like the end of verse fourteen where it says. Um, Hebrews 2 verse 14? Um, yes. Yep. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil.
0: What do you like about that?
2: I like that because to me, okay, on top of what you just said, I think we've had, for me personally, I've, I feel we've had a completely wrong concept wrong belief as to why Jesus died. Mm -hmm. Um, This verse is telling me that he died for one reason, to expose Mm. the devil. Mm. Um, That was one way, because, you know, Satan's life work has been to destroy the reputation of God and to destroy his son. And so, um, to me, this was one way to really expose Satan and his uh, plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That here, um, Jesus is here to show us that God loves you so much that I'm going to let Satan kill me. I am going to rise again, but I'm going to let Satan kill me to show you that I love you this much that I've come to show you the true love of God. Mm -hmm. That I'm willing to do this for you. To really
3: expose Satan and his plans hmm. and I think it's almost like a prophecy hmm. uh, his death and then his coming to life again because he, he had the power over you know yeah he, he had the power over death he defeated death hmm. by rising on the third day so it's more it's more like you know he died of a righteous man but because he died a righteous man, he lived again. And, and people that have died righteous when they when, on a the second coming of Christ, they will rise again.
0: So that, that's a great segue into the, the top paragraph on page 141. Um, the book has here, it says, How was Jesus' death different from that of any other man? There have been many men who have sacrificed their lives to save others. There have been many good men who have suffered terribly, being painfully tortured for days leading up to their execution. But dying in these horrific ways does not make them the savior of the world. It's a great point he made there. The one unique thing regarding the death of Christ is that he is the only one who has experienced what the lost sinner will experience in the end. The death God had warned Adam and Eve about in the beginning was not just a sleep from which all will be awakened, but the final and eternal succession of life, the second death. Now... Not to discredit, again, not to discredit the the direction the author is going here. However, I disagree with this paragraph in its entirety. Because. Did Jesus die the death of a sinner? If you ask ask the simple question, what does the Bible describe? And, And the author points it out here, the very last sentence. The final, the death of the sinner is not the sleep. From which we will all be awakened, but the final and eternal cessation of life—the second death. Did Jesus die? The second death? Did no. He die? The eternal and final—he did not.
2: He did not. So he Jesus knows. did
0: not die the death of the sinner.
1: It's easy for me to understand that and accept that because I never put that—I've never had that thought in my mind.
0: Right. Like you, last yeah. the last whole lesson we went through, the one before that, we we spent a lot of lessons now like talking about. You know, the lake of fire, the death of the sinner, all of these things, it's eternal, it's eternal cessation of life.
1: Right? So, I, I never, mm-hmm. I've never put, I've never compared Jesus to that. But. Right,
0: right. So I just wanted to kind of point that out to say, like, there, there is something that we can learn about what happens to the, to sinners in the end from this point. But, but it's not that Jesus died the death of the sinner. Right. So let's move on to the next paragraph here. According to traditional church teaching, in the end, the unrepentant sinner will suffer the wrath of God. This is where the lesson gets really good, and, I, and I'm really happy he went this direction. The wrath of God against sin, which is what Jesus suffered on the cross in our place. But remember, God is not like us. His ways are not like ours. Here's the cool sentence. The wrath of God is not being beaten up or burned up, but rather God giving us up to the consequences of our choices in life. Note the following text and he goes into a bunch of texts here from the Old Testament which I think we should read Deuteronomy 31 that's actually a really good
1: one Um, is someone willing to read that for us? And the Lord said to Moses behold you will rest with your fathers and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made against made with them. So then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because their God is not, among us I think that uh, to me this this little section here has a lot to do with the free will concept of God say more about that just you know, uh, it's a stupid example that I use a bunch of times but it's the only one I can think of uh, you know you got you're driving down the road there's a curve in the road God's giving you the ability to know that you gotta turn the wheel so you don't hit the tree at the curve he's giving you the free will to make that decision mm-hmm. And you know, as with any decision in life. And if you choose not to turn the wheel, you're gonna hit a tree. You're gonna hurt yourself. You're gonna to total whatever. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, so I think that speaks a lot of the free will concept of God and and you know you know, how often okay, so seeing people in recovery, how often do you work with people, help people, tell people, see people? And then it gets to the point where like have my phone number, call me when you're ready. That's right. I can't yeah. live through you anymore with this. Yep. yep. you got to let him go. It's right. not hate. That's right. Maybe good in the choices. That, yeah. I like
2: that.
0: Last, last sentence there, 2 Chronicles 15, 2. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. This is really interesting. So you have to understand what law lends. How do you view God? Because you can read this passage, and you can come away with two very different pictures, and it all depends on how do you understand God's law functions, right? Is he, is he authoritarian, arbitrary, penal legal like a Caesar? Or is he design law creator like a doctor almost would treat you? Check this out. He went out to Miasa and said to him, Hear, Miasa and all Judea and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So what law lens do you approach this text with? Is is God forsaking you because he's arbitrarily? Right? Or is he finding you? Right? Or or is what's being described here exactly what Joe said, here's my number, call me. If you're not gonna call me,
2: I'm not gonna pester you. I'm not gonna
0: pester you.
1: It kind of be twisted. It could be twisted into both views. hundred percent in it. So it. And, sure you've got, and you can't blame somebody believing both views. There's two ways of looking at it. And I think, you know, whether you should believe it one way and not the other, I don't know. But, but the fact that it matters, it, it, it presents both of the different, you know, those viewpoints and And I can see both of the viewpoints in this. Um, So, personally, I can see how it could be read both ways, and understand and respect the person for reading it both ways. If you flip the page over, the author kind of brings out the same point. He said,
0: "After God only forsakes people after we have forsaken them." Like there's uh, there's a text in the Old Testament. I'm not sure where it's found, but God God is quoted saying. B-frame is tied to their idols, let them go. There's nothing I can do for him. There's nothing more I can do for them. And so, he's that is the wrath of God. They are tied to their idols, their own way. There's nothing more I can do. Let them go. Here's my number, call me if you need me. But you're not going to call me because you're tied to your idol. Go your own way. So here in 2 Chronicles 29, verses 8 through 10, another way that God's wrath is described is, Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah in Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. Notice the text doesn't say God inflicted all of these things on them. Like God was the source of the trouble, desolation, or jeering. It wasn't externally applied by God. God let them go to reap these consequences.
2: I wonder why the I can only think of the word author, the interpreter of Scripture, the ones that interpreted the scrolls, why they used the word wrath. Um, or maybe back in ancient days, that word means differently than what we think of wrath today.
0: Well, we actually covered that a little bit last week in our discussion about the lake of fire. Um, and there was this quote, I think it was in five five 522 AD, something like that, where um, it was actually part of church doctrine that they started incorporating um, eternal burning hell it's in 533 A.D. Eternal he burning hell, purgatory, to increase people's fear so that they would join the church, give the church more money, have more control because it was all fear-driven. And so, to answer that question, Mom, the you know, I think you, there's a there's a Christian historian. His name's Eusebius, and he's quoted saying that come the Roman monarchy. On Earth, and the Pope, the bishops, the archbishops—that whole thing—in the Dark Ages, come the Roman monarchy on Earth, came the, in essence, the exact representation of God's government in heaven. Hmm. Like he's quoted saying that. So, in other words, you know, back during that time, 500 A.D., the Dark Ages, what they believed was the way the Roman Church operated was exactly the way God operated. 100%. It was the exact 100%. thing. Now, the Martin Luther, the Reformations, the people who translated the Bibles, they all came out of the Roman system. They were all Roman lawyers. They were all Roman attorneys with that mindset at play. And so as they started translating the Bibles from Latin to German, you know, into these languages that the common people eat, all of that sort of just sort of like filtered in with it. Right? So that's where you end up getting some of these words that sound very very penal legal, very legal, right? Because it's it's all there. And that's where, I, you know, it's actually, a, in my view, it's a huge blessing that we have as many translations of the Bible that we do today. Because you're able to go to Bible Hub and put in Second Chronicles 29, 8 through 10. And it will give you 50 different translations of that one verse. And you can... Right there on your computer, read all of them, and and come away with this very broad picture of many different ways that people have translated from the original Greek and Hebrew, and and I think it's it's actually a huge blessing because you're able to come away with like a very a very good. And he actually brings <clears throat> this up later on in the lesson. Um, I think it's like the English. We'll get to it. It's like the English Standard Version, how they use a little bit different language. Uh, that's actually on the next page we'll get it to describe it a lot better. Um, so it's really, that's a great question. So
2: is it it's kinda... called Bible Hub?
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Bible Hub's a cool place to check out. Yep. It's a real easy way to just put it a... so you read a text and it sounds like that. It sounds like, man, that sounds awful rough. Awful rough. How do you know God's love, how do I make sense of that? Well you go there and you can read a whole bunch of different versions.
1: Couldn't that also turn into a situation where, hey, Mom, can I go out and play no? Dad, can I go out and play yes? You're looking for the answer that you want. There's there's a
0: lot of that too, brother. A lot of people are just, you know, I, mean, well, I think a previous lesson in this book, we talked about that. People have itchy ears and they raise up for themselves teachers that kind of reinforce their own. You know, for sure, for sure, there's a risk of that, right? But only, only you know that right only you know the intentions of your own heart right so for me when i choose to do that you know i'm trying to search for the i'm trying to search for the version that makes god look the best so if god is love period then what i'm trying to do is find the version that makes god that describes god being that way it's the easiest for people to understand him being that like, that's my whole motive, because I believe that, right? So I'm not going to pick a verse that, a version that, because, because, and here's my reason, because Satan has so effectively infected all of our minds with this lie that God is arbitrary, he's severe, He's he can't be trusted, then, like, we have a natural propensity to go that way, right? So for me, the last thing that I want to do is pick a verse that will... Have a tendency to reinforce that because we automatically go that way with our minds, yeah. right? Like in some cases, I'd rather use a paraphrase, like the remedy from Tim Jennings, because it it, it paints God in that loving light. At risk of somebody saying, "Well, that's a paraphrase. You can't preach from a paraphrase, or whatever it could be." Like, well, it's about making God look good, and putting him in the right light. So, but back to the lesson here. summarize the last couple of verses we've read, in his wrath, God simply had given them up to trouble. In other words, he let them go their own way and suffer the consequences he would rather have had them avoid. I think the word wrath in the Bible has caused so much problems a lot of people. But what do you think about the next couple of verses that are given there? 2 Chronicles and Psalms 81. I like Psalms 81, 11 through 12. Does want to read that?
2: My people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels.
1: <laughs> I love that. What's the translation of that? What do you mean? What's the version?
0: What's uh, This is probably the New King James. That's what most all the texts in this study it, are in. I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. let you go. <laughs> and then there's this really famous passage in Romans chapter 1. Um, this is really long, but we're not going to read all of it. We'll just jump over to page 143. And we'll read kind of the second half of it. This is verses 18 through 28. I think this is starting around verse 22, something like that. It says... um, Let's see, we'll just start here. People were not thankful they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Start at the bottom, 142. Professing to be wise, they became fools... And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Man, there's so much, so much there. Who is blessed forever? Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Right? So we don't see God willfully inflicting pain and problems and trouble and broken relationships and and, and and disease and all of this stuff corrupt minds corrupt characters we don't see god inflicting this on people he is allowing them he's letting them go ephraim is tied to their idols let him go there's nothing more i can do for them he is in his wrath wrath is simply letting them go.
2: He's honoring their decision that they want to do what they want to
0: do. Well said. He's honoring their decision that this is what they want to do. To suffer the consequences of their own harmful choices. And doesn't love require that to happen? Love requires that. Love requires that. To do anything other than that is not love. Right? And God is love. And then, and then there's this wonderful verse here in Galatians 6-7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. I just... It's, it's really rough how Christianity and how Satan has... You know, it made people believe that God will inflict. God is the source of pain and suffering. Any more thoughts on that? Wheel's thinking. There at the bottom of 143, that second paragraph, our conclusion, according to the Bible, is that God's wrath is simply God giving up the unrepentant sinner up to go his or her own way. God is love, and this is the only way love can respond to rejection. I love that sentence. The only way love can respond to rejection is letting them go. If this conclusion is correct, then there should be a text that says Christ was given up.
3: Someone read for us Romans 4, 24 and 25. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our of our offenses. Almost raised because of our justification. What do you think of that? <clears throat> so Jesus was
0: delivered up. Romans 832. There's another example. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not be with him also for the us all things? Given up, delivered up. A little bit of a Greek word there. How do you pronounce that? Paradidomi? Paradidomi? Means to give over or to give up. And this is the reference we were talking about earlier with the, the English Standard Version actually uses the word in Romans eight thirty two. He did he who did not spare his son, but
3: gave him up for us all. Right? You just let him go. Yeah, people have the free will to accept him as a savior or murder him they chose to murder him because of their own their own fleshy ways. I mean they wanted the power and Christ's um what you call it? Christ's ways threatened their own power over the people. When people was following him, generally following him and and wanting to Walk with him, right. than the the other people, you know. Then plotted against him.
2: The first that I keep going back to with this whole thing with with the uh, crucifixion is the verse, and I I don't have the text, but it says there is no greater love um, than this that a friend laid down his life for a some, friend. I think it's in first John. First John. I think so, yeah. And to me that's what Jesus did. To to show us the true true love of the Father, he laid down his life for his friends. And that's why he allowed that whole scenario to play out. So that um, we could get a true true picture of God. Unfortunately that's what then was twisted Into this whole wrath of God, and God required a sacrifice, and it's just so foreign to God. But that's how it got twisted, and then down through eons of time, that's what people believed.
0: Like Jesus himself quoted saying in the New Testament, I I don't have it off the top of my head, but no one can take my life, I freely give it up.
2: I freely give it up.
0: And then, like Sarah and I just read last night in Matthew 26, we were reading, or 25, we were reading the Garden of Gethsemane when the whole mob came to arrest Jesus and Peter whipped out his sword and went to cut off the, you know, to to fight back and Jesus stopped him and it's really amazing. Jesus says, don't you realize that if I wanted to, I could have ten legions of angels come here right now and save me? But it, but, but I'm not, I'm choosing to not do that because it must not be that way. Yeah. Like Jesus, like it's actually recorded that Jesus says, I have all the power <laughs> to, to say, you know, to forcefully, right. I have the power to forcefully save myself and my disciples. Right. But he's saying, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And in that moment, that is a that's a revelation of God's character because satan is saying you can't trust God with the power you can't trust God and Jesus is saying i have all the power and i'm still not going to use it so just you know just imagine that like Jesus had the power to stop everything that was done to him he chose not to look
3: well, according to one of the books of the uh, apostle uh, one of the apostles books mm-hmm some of that power was used mm. when they fell back. You're right. Yeah. And that's and people the still arrested him. Yeah. yeah. He just showed a little, a little of that. A glimpse, a glimpse of, a little of that divinity. Yeah. To say, hey, uh, you sure you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And they still did it, and that's okay. Let them go. Mm-hmm. The yeah. You know,
2: I'm thinking that. Um, you would talk about Bible Hub like you have all the different um, interpretations of a verse so you can go get a broader picture Um, you know when you think about it back in 533 or whatever the um, Roman lawyers who interpreted the scrolls and wrote it down into the King James Bible that they originally had you know, when you think about it, they were paraphrasing. Oh yeah. Because I mean, mm-hmm. they were like the first paraphrasers, because they interpreted the scrolls through their own law lens mm-hmm. of what they had been taught and what they knew. Mm-hmm. You know. I just thought about that. They were the first par- paraphrasers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they translated into the common language of the people at the time.
2: Yeah. And through their own lens of what they understood, what they'd been taught through the Roman religion. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. So coming back in here to the lesson then. Um, the paragraph here, right in the middle of page 144 after the ESV's version. If we look at the biblical record of the crucifixion, we will find that is exactly what happened. The prophet David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, foretold the crucifixion experience of Christ in the book of Psalms. The following is a comparison of those verses written by David in Psalms with the verses in Matthew's New Testament account of the crucifixion that demonstrates this. I think,
1: Joe, this is what you're referring to, right? The prophetic stuff. Do you want to read through that for us? That? Sure. sure. Uh that? Sure. Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Uh, then you go to Matthew twenty seven forty six and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthan right. that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me mm.
0: I love the follow up right, Jesus did not say God why are you killing me or why are you punishing me right why have you forsaken me, why are you giving me up why are you letting me go
1: Interesting, huh? Keep going, Joe. Um, let's see, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him, let him deliver him, since he delights in him.
0: Okay, That's Psalms what, twenty two, six three?
1: And then Matthew 27, 39 to 40. And those who passed by blasphemed him, blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross.
2: Mm.
0: And yeah, there's a few more here in the book. We could spend some time reading down, down through all of them. There's quite a few. But... But the gist is, you know, those are called Messianic prophecies in the Psalms, and... Like it all fits, doesn't it? Psalms 22, 16 through 18, he actually prophesies, They pierced his hands, they pierced my feet, they could count all my bones, they look and stare at me, they divide my garments among them, They cast lots for them. And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? (coughs) Excuse me. So in Psalms 22, you know, David is describing the experience of Christ as he's being crucified. You know, hundreds of years before it happened. And then here in Psalms 88, he actually records the thoughts and the mind of Christ as he experienced the suffering death. Psalms 88:14, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? So we can kind of put that through the lens of when when Jesus was crying out, "Why have you forsaken me?" In verse 15, he says, "I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth." As you read in Hebrews, Jesus knew from an early age who he was and that he was born a human for the suffering of death. Verse 15, while I suffer your terrors, I am distraught. Hmm. It gets pretty deep on that second part there. Perhaps maybe before we jump into that second half, that might be a good discussion
1: for next week because we are about out of time. Well, we can't say the word poon. Mm.
3: What is that Greek?
1: I
2: think.
3: Confusion.
2: I think we've all been through terrible times where we have, I mean, nothing near the crucifixion that Jesus was suffering, but we've all been through those times in our lives when we just, in prayer, were like, I don't feel you. Um, i don't sense you near you feel forsaken right you know you're not but you still feel that and so you know scripture tells us that, that everything we feel everything we suffer that jesus felt the exact same thing so why would he i mean he was going through a horrendous crisis why would he not have those feelings of being forsaken you know right it was just that was just a natural thing to say. God really wasn't forsaking him. That's just how he felt at the time because it was so horrible. I don't
0: know. Yeah, I think this first, you know, to clap to close off the first part of this lesson, there's, there's a lot of biblical evidence that really paint this whole picture and even from the words of Jesus himself that really expose the lie that God will kill you in the end. That God you know externally inflicts something um, to punish you or just you know and all of those things and so I think it's really important for us to kind of just take that take that away that love the only way for love to respond to rejection is to say okay and let them go and that is what we're that's what we're discovering that the Bible teaches is, okay, I'll let you go to, re- to reap what you have sown. And, uh, you know, a really simple metaphor to kind of close it out is if you're sick with, you know, a lot of blood sugar issues and a lot of health problems and your feet are swelling up and you go to the doctor and the doctor says you have diabetes. And, you know, here's what you need to do to be healthy. And you could say to the doctor, but well, I don't what, what if I don't do any of those things? And the doctor says, Well well then you'll die. You know? The doctor is not saying is well then I'll kill you. But the doctor is saying you'll die. And it'll be your own choice that brings out that result. And the doctor says, But you don't have to die. That's the thing. You don't have to die. Follow this plan. If you make these changes, if you do these things, you don't have to die. And I think that that's really important. As I believe that's what the way God approaches us. You don't have to die. The attack of Cocoa. Well, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this study. Thank you that you are the God who is a healer, who is the creator, who is. The designer of life, and your your goal and your purpose is to restore us back into harmony with life. So that we don't have to die. Thank you. And, and I just I'm sorry that the way people have misinterpreted and, and misunderstood you and come away with this view that that makes you look like you're you're the source of that death, when in fact you are not. You are the source of life. So as we wrap up this this section, this part of our lesson, and we get into the rest of our afternoon and throughout our weeks. I just ask that we can carry this message and we can live it out, and we can demonstrate it in our own hearts. And thank you that you are a good, loving
1: God. In your name we pray.